the most popular vulva on Reddit is a very meaty, quote-unquote, Audi vulva. Welcome to Sex, Body, and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency, and on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do, and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. Our next guest, Jessica Penn, had labiaplasty when she was just 18 years old and believes during the operation that her nerves of her clitoris were cut, leading to less sensation. She took her own journey to become an activist with the goal of getting comprehensive coverage of the clitoral anatomy through to OBGYNs and plastic surgeons. And this is her story. Jessica Pym, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine. Well, I first saw your beautiful face on The Daily Show about a week ago with Trevor Noah. It's on Comedy Central and you were holding up a clitoris. What was all that about? Well, I have been advocating for better clitoral anatomy to be included in medical literature and curricula. And you, you've had a particular personal experience yourself, which led you to be an advocate for this particular issue. What happened to you when you were 17? So I had a labiaplasty actually when I was barely 18, but I was 17 when I first got online and was trying to find out what a clitoris was. Actually, mm-hmm. I didn't know. And in trying to find out how to find my clitoris, I ended up on the Wikipedia page for vulva. And then I ended up trying to figure out if my vulva was normal. And I learned the words vulva and labia minora for the first time because I'd never been taught. And I ended up Googling labia minora when I did an image search for labia minora. I got before and after photos of labiaplasty and I ended up on websites of labiaplasty surgeons. And I ended up on a website called labiaplastysurgeon.com that still exists and still has incorrect information on it. Mm-hmm. I read that protruding labia minora are considered unfeminine and embarrassing. I read that they're caused by excess androgens, aging, sexual activity, and masturbation. So in your mind, you're like, hmm, if I've masturbated, maybe that's the reason that you in your mind thought that your labia, your vulva didn't look like everybody else's. Well, no, I was actually just thinking that people would think that I masturbated Uh and that that would be mortifying because I thought that that was something you weren't supposed to do. Mm. And so I basically got the impression that I had a shameful, embarrassing problem. Um, Mm. I got the impression that I was abnormal, even though I now know that my labia minora were pretty close to average. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that I needed a labiaplasty. And so when I was barely 18, I went to an extremely reputable OBGYN for a labiaplasty, and he completely amputated my labia minora, Mm -hmm. and he performed a clitoral hood reduction without my consent and damaged the dorsal nerves of my clitoris. Wow. And at the time, did you talk to your parents about this before you went to have the operation? Because I think your father is a doctor, is he not? Yeah, I did. First, I talked to my mom, and my mom thought it was a stupid thing to worry about. She took me to her OBGYN, and her OBGYN 
actually did say that I was normal. Mm-hmm. I did not listen because by that point, I had already dug into the literature enough to know that it was recommended for OBGYNs to tell all patients that they're normal, regardless of how unusual their anatomy is. And so what I wanted is I wanted data on how I compared to other women. I wanted to know how normal I was. I asked to know what percentile I was in, and she couldn't tell me. I asked to know how I compared to the last 10 patients she had seen, and she wouldn't tell me. It's possible that she just didn't pay attention, Mm. but I couldn't get any information from her. And this was a woman who looked at vulvas all day long and wouldn't give me any idea where I stood relative to other women. You know, like she could have said, oh, about three quarters of women have smaller labia minora than you or something. And I would have known how, you know. Yeah. You know, Jessica, I think a lot of girls, when they go through puberty and start exploring their bodies and look down there, I mean, a lot of girls, first of all, are not looking down there. And I'm a big advocate that you get a mirror and you go down there and you inspect yourself and, you know, you know what's going on down there. But I think a lot of girls are embarrassed about protruding labias or labia minoris. Can you first define for us exactly what a labia minora is? Because I would say that most people have not heard those words before. They're just the inner lips of the vulva Mm -hmm. that surround the vagina and they come in all shapes and sizes and colors. Mm -hmm. And the definition of labiaplasty? It's a surgery that reduces the size of the labia minora. Mm-hmm. So basically, they remove some of the labia minora, usually for cosmetic reasons. Sometimes women have such large labia minora that it causes them discomfort and pain, but that's very rare. In one study, 87% of patients were seeking surgery for cosmetic reasons alone. Mm-hmm. I tend to be a little skeptical of physical reasons because when I was 17, I claimed that my labia minora hurt me when I rode my bike. And that was not true. It was something that I said because I was desperate to have surgery and no one was listening, I thought. (laughs) But, you know, surgery is not a reasonable solution to discomfort riding a bike. Mm -hmm. Just get a new bike seat. And that was never suggested. And also what my surgeon did is not at all what I consented to. Yeah. So explain what that surgeon did and how you walked away from that operation, how you felt. He completely amputated my labia minora and he performed a clitoralhood reduction without my consent. In the clitoralhood reduction, he damaged my clitoris. What most surgeons don't realize is that the dorsal nerves of the clitoris are very superficial under the mm-hmm. skin of the clitoralhood. Mm-hmm. So if you operate on the clitoralhood, you're fundamentally operating on the skin of the clitoris. Hmm. So basically you felt no more sensation in your clitoris. Is that what happened? Yeah. I lost all sensation in the glands of my clitoris and most sensation in the external part of the clitoris. Yeah. And have you been able to get that back or is that now gone forever? Is there a reverse operation you can have? Not today. (laughs) Mm. Maybe someday. Um, It actually may have been possible to repair maybe in a year or two after my surgery. So that's one thing that my dad thinks now, like since we've done our study and since he saw just how large the nerves are, 
he thinks that they could be repaired in cases like mine. So actually, after my Daily Show interview came out, one woman contacted him and was crying and said the same thing happened to her. And he told her to try and see if she could get it repaired. Mm. And so your father has really leaned in to try to help you. Yeah. Which is amazing. What, what did he think of all of this? Because is, is he a surgeon, your father? Mm-hmm. My dad is a plastic surgeon. So, mm-hmm. you know, some people will say that I got hurt because I was stupid enough to go to an OBGYN instead of a plastic surgeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason my dad chose an OBGYN is because he didn't think that plastic surgeons knew what they were doing. Because mm-hmm. as a plastic surgeon, he knew that plastic surgeons were not very well trained in the anatomy and were not taught to do these procedures. Yeah. He assumed that an OBGYN would be able to do it and would do it safely. Yeah. Now, what do you know now about plastic surgeons who do perform this operation? Do they go through labiaplasty training in that area to be able to do this without damaging you? Usually no, and they definitely don't have to. There are really no training standards, so there there is no training through their professional society, at least not last time I checked. There's no, mm-hmm. they don't get trained to female general cosmetic surgery in residency. They're not typically taught adequate vulvar anatomy in medical school or in residency. As an example, at the top plastic surgery program in the country, which is actually UT Southwestern, which is where my study was done, only one of the residents had done one labiaplasty by the time they graduated last year. Or I guess that was the spring. It's hard for me to keep track, but basically my dad told me this to illustrate how they weren't actually getting trained to do these procedures still. So it's very different from the way it works with other cosmetic surgeries. Mm. You go to a board-certified plastic surgeon for rhinoplasty, for example, you know that they have been formally trained to do rhinoplasty in residency. You know that they've done a minimum number of rhinoplasties under supervision. You know that they've learned detailed anatomy of the nose. This is not the case with labiaplasty. So they will say that the field of female genital cosmetic surgery is like the wild, wild west. And often they'll say that this is because it's a new field. However, these surgeries have been going on for four decades for cosmetic reasons and even longer for quote unquote medical reasons. Mm. So when you, you had this operation and you decided to become an advocate for this, first of all, was it painful? I mean, it just you talking about it makes me like, oh, like I can't possibly imagine, you know, having a part of my body in that area shaved off, which is essentially what happened to you. What was the recovery like? Were you in pain? Are you talking about, you're talking about physical pain? Um, yes. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that that was a particularly big deal. It was the mental anguish. I think the permanent loss of function was, was the trauma. Yeah. And if I may ask, how has it now affected your life? Are you able to have normal sexual relations or are you struggling? I mean, it depends on how you define normal. I have found ways to make it work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like on other podcasts and on my Instagram, I encourage everyone to feel empowered and entitled to do whatever they need to do, you know, 
to experience pleasure in the bedroom and to not feel like it's a burden or too much to ask of their partners. So I can only orgasm with a vibrator and it's quite difficult. So like, you know, I had to try a lot of different vibrators to finally find one that would work. And I have TMI, but I have to hold it myself. Like it's very difficult, but I've, you know, I've talked to other women who have been through similar things. Like just yesterday, I talked to a woman who had a clitoroplasty as a, as a baby because she was born with congenital adrenal hyperplasia. And so her clitoris was damaged, you know, and I actually loved talking to her because she has kind of the same mindset where she is just doing everything that she can. And so I encourage people to do that if they have any issue where it's hard for them to orgasm. I know for me, it took me a while to be able to say to my partners that like I needed to have an orgasm too, even if it meant that like, you know, I need this different thing that like other Mm -hmm. women might need. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, it definitely is harder. Like I think people really underestimate how important clitoral function is Mm -hmm. to sex. I mean, like one thing that I've asked my Twitter followers is like, okay, everyone says the clitoris is just for pleasure, but like, do you ever think about how difficult it is to get lubricated if your clitoris doesn't work? Yeah, that's a brilliant point. (laughs) Now hold up your pink clitoris again. Yes, hold that up. I want to see it. Oh, yes, there you go. Now that's what you took on the um, Daily Show. Talk us through that organ because I would say that a lot, I am videoing this, so you will be able to see this, but I presume that the brown bit at the end is the clitoris, but talk us through, because it almost looks like, oh, that's all the clitoris. That is the clitoris. Okay. Got it. Okay. So it looks like a bit like a penis. Yeah. Yeah. So talk us through it. What, What are all the bits and pieces? So this is the glands. This is the part most people are familiar with. That's the bit that sticks out a little bit, right? Yeah, this is the part that you can see if you retract the end of the clitoral hood. It's just like the head of the penis. So mm-hmm. It's the head of the penis. It's very similar. And then this is the clitoral body. And this also is external under the clitoral hood. And this is what people tend to not realize even though if you rub your finger back and forth over the clitoral hood like this you can feel it you can feel Mm -hmm. basically like a little shaft underneath and that's Mm -hmm. the clitoral body most of it is external under the clitoral hood some of it is inside the body we took measurements for like the length that is external versus the length that's internal Mm -hmm. Uh, some of it i guess and i think it really it varies with the individual like some women have more fat in the mons. And so I think like their mons covers it more in mm. some women than others. Anyway, so then it it curves down and the clitoral body divides into two cura. And so these are internal, they're inside the body. And so are the bulbs, which surround the vagina. And this is all erectile tissue. So the cura and the bulbs, they also swell when you're aroused. And, you know, people have all kinds of theories, but basically the bulbs contribute to the sensation that women feel with penetration. Mm -hmm. 
So when the doctor was performing your labiaplasty, what was he shaving off? Well, so he completely amputated my labia minora, which mm-hmm. I really think that people need to understand as basically yeah. an extension of the clitoris. Mm. The labia minora actually have the same types of nerve endings as the clitoris. Thousands, right? Thousands of nerves. I don't know how many. Yeah, I have no idea. I know mm. that you know, people often say that the clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings, but that actually comes from a study of bovine genitals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I tend to not pay attention. I mean, I don't even know if the number matters, but yeah, a lot of nerve endings. The labia minora don't have as many as the clitoris, of course. And some women don't report much sensation in their labia minora, but other women do. Mm-hmm. And according to one study, women who categorize their labia minora as large actually have more sensation than women who classify their labia minora as smaller. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. So mm-hmm. it really doesn't match up with this idea that the labia minora are, are something that needs to be trimmed off because they're a problem if they're large, you know, mm-hmm. like, because based on that study, those women actually have more sensation. Like it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the way that the clitoris can get damaged in a clitoral hood reduction is the clitoral hood is just skin covering this and the nerves are very superficial I actually have like a giant cross section that might explain it better, Mm -hmm. but basically it's like this. So this is clitoral hood skin. And then the nerves are pretty superficial and they're big also. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you're a surgeon and you're cutting into the clitoral hood and you go even just a little bit deep, you could cut the nerves. Mm -hmm. And the problem is I, you know, it's always hard, but it's, pretty fair to say most plastic surgeons and most OBGYNs do not realize where these nerves are. Yeah. You can see even experts in female genital cosmetic surgery describing the anatomy incorrectly online Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and telling patients that damage to the clitoris can't happen because the nerves are very deep. That's not true. Mm -hmm. I've Mm -hmm. even talked plastic surgeons, I've asked them like how they avoid dorsal nerve injuries and they'll give me answers like, oh, they operate at the top of the clitoral hood and the nerves are deeper there. And it's like, why do they think that? That's not. (laughs) And the reason they think that, unfortunately, is if they're basing their understanding of the anatomy on Netter's Atlas of Anatomy, then they have an idea that there's a safe zone at the top of the clitoral hood where there's no safe zone because it's not correct. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I know a lot about this stuff and I am learning from you. I mean, you've obviously done an incredible amount of research. So, you know, thank you for that. What do you want everyone to know now, especially girls who are thinking about getting this operation? Um, I want them to know that there's nothing wrong with having large labia minora. This is basically a fake beauty standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a fake beauty standard that's made up for profit. It also fundamentally derives from cultural suppression of female sexuality. Labia minora shaming started in medical literature in the 19th century. And it started with doctors either like dividing up types of vulvas based on race and attributing large labia minora to black women, which was one way that they stigmatized them um, because black women were seen as evolutionarily inferior and 
So there's that origin. And then also it was associated with excess promiscuity and excess female sexual desire, nymphomania, and also homosexuality, right? They thought lesbians had bigger labia minora. And just fundamentally, there's been all this taboo and stigma around female external, external genitals because it's not directly involved in reproduction and because there's this cultural legacy where women aren't supposed to be sexual. Mm. And so it's just, it's all a part of the cultural suppression of female sexuality, in my opinion. You know, I've never met a man ever who said, oh, I don't like your vulva or I don't like your vagina. In fact, I had this amazing man on the podcast, Alex Taylor, who's dedicated his life to vulva visibility. And he told me that, you know, it doesn't matter what it looks like at all. Men are not looking or your partner is not looking at what your labia looks like or what your vulva looks like. I mean, sometimes they are, but a lot of men actually prefer them. I think it's sort of like a fake beauty standard. The most popular vulva on Reddit is a very meaty, quote unquote, Audi vulva. So mm, like, wow. So I, and also people always blame porn for the rise in these surgeries. But I personally have seen all types of vulvas in porn. I see big labia. Mm-hmm. I see small labia. I, I don't really see that relationship. But the other thing that is concerning is in studies of male preferences for different types of vulvas, men who have been exposed to labiaplasty advertising are more likely to say that they prefer small labia minora. So this is actually having an impact on men's preferences and expectations that I think is damaging. Mm. I've never seen any labiaplasty advertisements. Where, Where are those shown? Well, one of my friends actually got a Facebook ad that said like a haircut for your genitals. Plastic surgeons promote labiaplasty on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram. They have ads on Google. If you Google labia minora, you will likely get a labiaplasty advertisement. I mean, I think they find ways to get to people. They, labiaplasty has been covered in women's magazines, and a lot of the time that will effectively be advertising. Mm-hmm. WebMD added a new page on labial hypertrophy, which is effectively, I mean, it's effectively promoting labiaplasty. So in the year since I've talked to them about how they do not cover any anatomy of the clitoris or vulva and how clitoris and vulva are not in the medical dictionary and how they cover male masturbation, but not female for teens. They have mm-hmm. masturbation for boys, not for teen girls. They have all these problems that I talk to them about and ask them to please change. They haven't. But what they have done is they've added an article on labiaplasty. Wow. Well, just for the record, masturbation with boys and girls from a very early age is completely normal. And we should be advocating for it because you get to know your own body at a very young age. So therefore, when you're an adult and you have your first sexual debut, you're going to know what pleasure is all about. And it's vital. I mean, having an orgasm, having sexual pleasure is vital for your, for your well-being. Mm. And so it, it's just a double standard how also, you know, we talk so much about erectile dysfunction, but we never talk about a woman's 
inability to have an orgasm or why that's important. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely need to talk about it more. Um, The other thing that I want women to realize if they're insecure about their vulvas and if they've noticed any negative messaging around vulvas is, you know, claims that they're caused by aging, sexual activity, masturbation, and male hormones are not supported by any evidence at all. They're actually reflective of estrogen levels. So that's why they tend to develop during puberty. And one study of how they change during puberty, they actually increased three times in length from like age five to 15. So those changes are super normal. And it's actually like a sign that you're becoming mature. Now, not every woman's labia menorah develops the same way. So some women have very small labia menorah and that's totally okay too. But it's also very normal for them to develop. But nobody talks about Mm. it. So I think a lot of girls wonder what's wrong when they've just gone through a normal part of puberty. The other thing is they actually tend to atrophy with menopause. So when they call labiaplasty rejuvenation, that is basically medical fraud. I got the American Society of Plastic Surgery to stop calling it rejuvenation on their website. However, it's like whack-a-mole and there's just going to be like another doctor every day calling it rejuvenation. It's very hard to stop. Mm. But yeah, it also, there's nothing unfeminine about it. Um, The other thing is it doesn't make any sense evolutionarily for there to be a beauty standard of invisible labia minora because they're correlated with fertility and also they engorge with arousal. So it just, it just, it doesn't Mm. make sense. And it's, the stigma around protruding labia minora, in my opinion, just stems from people being uncomfortable with female sexuality in general, which is why we call women's genitals vaginas. It's why, you know, we only name the birth canal yep. instead of acknowledging female erectile tissue. It's so true. And are there many of you, Jessica, out there advocating for this? Because I have never, you are the first person that I've met who really advocates specifically for this. And it's a difference in the developing world where women are mutilated at 13. It's part of the culture. It's a ceremony. It's it's absolutely mutilation. And there's a large group of advocates trying to abolish that. But in general, I have not met anybody in the Western world who is really advocating to advocating for the clitoris, actually. You are an advocate of the clitoris. That's what you do. Yeah, I think, you know, people don't want to recognize what's happening. You know, they don't want to recognize that women are getting harmed by doctors. Women who are harmed, like me, have a lot of difficulty speaking up, and they tend to blame themselves. I think earlier you asked me about the pain that I felt. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that one thing important to understand is that going through this type of harm is extremely traumatic. And the way it's basically institutionalized makes it even harder because, you know, it often feels like no one cares. Like people do not see the harm that I suffered and the harm that other women have suffered as worth preventing. And a lot of the times there's a lot of victim blame. Like, so when my anatomic study got discussed in the Daily Mail, they talked about how surgeons are operating blind, how basically female general cosmetic surgeons often don't know where nerves are. And they talked about that in the article. But they also talked about how, you know, an author of the study, me, had had a labiaplasty and was harmed. And so in the comment section, 
no one criticized the doctors. They criticized mm. me. They shamed you. They shamed you, right? Yeah. Exactly. They mm-hmm. blamed me instead of realizing that, you know, the doctors, doctors are promoting these surgeries. They're misleading women. I never would have had surgery if I thought there was any risk to my sexual function at all. There was like a fundamental violation of my autonomy. What was done to me is not at all what I consented to. And, you know, to see how doctors aren't taught this anatomy, you know, it's very hard to advocate because if whenever people tell me no, what they're telling me is that my trauma, which has been like incredibly destabilizing and disruptive to my life, isn't worth preventing. And that feels like an affront to my dignity. Mm, mm. And so that's why I so badly need to change it because I need to assert that what happened to me was not okay. Yeah. And I, I want to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. Well, I, I think apart from trying to change the system, which is both gynecologists, you know, OBGYNs and plastic surgeons, I feel like we've got some work to do with schools the government, and and also parents. You know, I have a 10-year-old girl. I am telling her constantly how beautiful she is, how normal she is, how that all works down there. You know, as you know, we've made a, a vulva puppet so that we can, okay. yeah, so that we can, uh, and we've also got this, um, which is a coaster, which shows the different areas of our vulva. But I think we've got work to do outside of these two groups. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely, I mean, the the problem starts so young. You know, the problem in a way started for me, like when I asked my parents where my PP was, <laughs> they told me it was on the inside. And I just wasn't like, my genitals weren't named. And I think I was in second grade by the time I learned the word vagina. So then I knew that I had a cavity, but that's all I knew. And I really just didn't learn about my anatomy. And it was like omitted from my consciousness. And I really didn't pay attention. So I never thought that I was abnormal, but it was like, I had no awareness. I think a lot of women are almost disassociated from their vulvas in a way because it's not recognized. Mm. Um, And so then I think it makes us like our ignorance and disassociation, I think, makes us really vulnerable to any kind of negative messaging. Mm. I didn't understand how female sexual function worked. So I didn't even understand the importance of the vulva. I thought that women were supposed to orgasm from their vaginas. So I didn't even understand the significance of my loss when it happened mm. because I thought oh, well, someday I'm going to have sex and then everything will be okay because that will be better than whatever I lost. You know, it's like, that's so fucked up to think about now. But the other thing is in sex ed, they still don't talk about vulvas. Like I have a friend who has a teenage boy and they, they didn't teach him about a vulva and she talked to the school and they don't want to teach about it. No, no, this is the problem. There is a massive, massive gap in sex ed and the right type of sex ed. And at the body agency, we're really looking into that and also looking at how parents can take that role. But, you know, the the problem is, is that 
parents don't have the tools and they are embarrassed and children are embarrassed to hear it from their parents. And so, yeah, we have a lot of work to do to, for people like you to really reduce any form of shame or stigma that is associated to our parts down there and normalize how our body functions. I mean, it is so vital for our well-being that this happens moving forward. So yeah, you're doing a really great job, Jessica. And and I know that you're getting out there and you've built um, a big social media following. And I just think it's marvelous what work you're doing and how you're making a difference and how you are brave enough to come forward and tell your story. And I remember you actually telling me that how it started was a boyfriend at school spread a rumor about you. What happened there? Oh, he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't a boyfriend. He was a boy uh-huh. who I had fooled around with, but he later, you know, reminded me that I never took off my panties and he didn't know what a clitoris was. Mm. But he mm. just, I guess that, you know, he had touched, I mean, honestly, he had touched outside my panties and felt that I had more than he had felt previously. But I mean, mm. this, this was like a 17-year-old boy. He didn't know what was going on. The other thing is, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having prominent labia minora. Also, one reason that my labia minora seemed prominent, and I think this goes on with a lot of women, and in the plastic surgery literature, also, they don't acknowledge this variable, is basically... Sometimes whether or not labia minora protrude is a function of how big the labia majora are. So women who have much thinner, like women who don't have much fat in their vulva and have small labia majora, you know, there's just not mm. anywhere for anything to hide or get tucked in. <laughs> yeah. Here's the last question, because we're now out of time, very sadly. I have to definitely have to get you back on. When you lose weight... Does your labia lose weight too? As in, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who, you know, is in her 60s and she told me that it has changed down there, that things are, you know, saggier or fatter or, you know, she, which of course is not doing us any favors because she's basically saying, well, when you age, things change down there, which you say is not correct. So there have been 10 normative studies of adult women and not one has shown a correlation, a positive correlation between age and labia minora size after puberty. One actually showed a negative correlation, but none have established a positive correlation. So there really is no evidence that the labia minora get longer with age. However, there could be other changes going on, like with the labia majora, for example, I mean, I don't know, among my cadavers, at least, like, mm-hmm. they had, I mean, <laughs> this is, <laughs> I don't know if this is a good reference, but, like, they all had very fat labia majora and mons, and I'm not sure if that's just how most women are, or if it was because, you know, the average age of our cadaver was, like, of a cadaver was, like, 73 in our study, but I, I do think, you know, the skin of the labia majora gets more wrinkly, probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, the skin on our face, the skin on our necks, the skin everywhere, you know, gets. Oh, yeah. And also, 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the labia majora is fat and also the mons has a lot of fat. So that mm-hmm. is going to change, you know, with weight gain and weight loss, kind of like breasts change. Like some, yeah. some people, some people will have like fat vulvas even when they're skinny. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be affected by weight. And so I do mm-hmm. think thinner women have less fat in their vulvas probably. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who's a, who like did a bunch of ballet growing up and she says among like dancers, she feels like everyone has protruding labia minora. I mean, this is anecdotal, but I think that there may be a thing where thinner women more often have labia minora protruding, but I actually don't know. There's not mm-hmm. evidence. Mm. Well, Jessica, very sadly, we're out of time. You are a very brave, bold, badass woman. And I thank you for everything you're doing, especially for young girls who might think that they're not normal. We got to get the basics out there and you are just doing an amazing job at that, this crusade. And I thank you. Thanks. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all of my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. Be sure to sign up for our email list at thebodyagency.com for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotion code to get a 10% discount, podcast10. Thanks for listening.